Would you open your Bibles to the book of Job? I'm going to position myself down here a little bit today just because we've got slides and, and I know that my uh, figure blocks the slides, like an eclipse of the slides. is uh, just go to Psalms and turn left. Right in the middle. Book of Job, chapter 38. Where we find ourselves in the book of Job is it has been 37 chapters of Job's life going haywire. And this chapter 38 is the moment where God gets to say, okay, Job, First of all, you other three guys, you know, you jokers, go sit in the corner, sackcloth and ashes, think about what you've said. That wasn't right. Which is weird to me because some of the stuff, they, you know, when you read what they said to him, I'm like, that actually sounds kind of right to me. But here's what God says to Job at, at that moment of clarity. God gets the chance to defend himself. And here's what he says, verse 2. He's speaking to Job. Who is it that obscures my plans without, with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you, verse 4, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And verse 6, on what were its footings set, or... Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and, and no farther? Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning? Or shown the dawn its place? Uh, skip down to verse 17. Have, have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? And skip to verse 29. From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters became hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? And then verse uh, 31. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades, can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Verse 33, do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion in the earth? These are great questions. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I ask that your word today would be a lamp and a light for our path. I ask for your wisdom to be with us. I'm so grateful that your, your word is not just an academic exercise, that it is literally a lamp and a light. And then we'll get to experience some of that illumination today, Lord. That's my prayer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. There was a, a, a guy named Heisenberg who said that the first gulp from the natural Sciences will turn you into an atheist, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. That was from the great Heisenberg. Oh, wait, that's the wrong Heisenberg. Um, 
Werner Heisenberg, a theoretical physicist, where, by the way, Walter White took his name from. And what he was saying was what I experienced as a younger guy. I started reading about science and things, and, and I began to think, oh, well, maybe there isn't a God. I just began to wonder and think, because and, that first gulp of the natural sciences got me. But I kept drinking. I think the problem with many of us is we start the glass and then we, we don't finish. We, get, we sort of sip it and we nurse it. I would encourage us all to gulp it, to drink it wholeheartedly. Because what he is saying, what Heisenberg is saying, is that there's something going on in this universe that the greatest minds that have ever been come to a point where they've got nothing else to, to say of how it happened. In fact, that's what Sir Frederick Hoyle, he's the Cambridge astronomer, coined the term. Remember, Big Bang, we talked about that last week. He discovered that, uh, this is what he discovered, that nuclear ground state energy levels of helium, carbon, oxygen, and beryllium had to be so extraordinarily fine-tuned for enough carbon, because we're carbon-based life, that if any of these levels were just literally 1% different, there would not have been enough carbon in the universe to allow for the possibility of life. And here's what he had to say about that. (laughs) He said that, this is an actual quote, that more than anything else had greatly shaken my atheism. Later in life, he would write, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion beyond reason. Physicist. And I I wanted to share some of these, even from people who haven't stepped into a faith in God yet, to show you that. If you were to watch the news, what would you conclude from when, when something happens and they find the Christian guy or the Christian girl, they, they, to confirm their bias or their narrative, they put somebody who is simple, who maybe hasn't been educated very well, and that confirms their bias, that we're all just a bunch of dumb rednecks. Now, first of all, as a dumb redneck, I'd like to say I resent that and resemble it. And I'm grateful because we don't, live in a universe and we don't serve a God who only picks the top of the heap. There's a place for all of us. So when you see, the next time you see the redneck from Texas being interviewed, first of all, thank God that he loves him just as much as he does you. And then secondly, know that there was somebody who made a decision to give that guy or that girl the microphone instead of somebody who actually has been educated, who can speak clearly on these things. There's, There's room for all of us in the kingdom. And there are plenty of people, physicists and scientists and chemists and astrophysicists who have believed in an uh, intelligent design behind the universe. And I wanted to share with you this morning that these things, these fine-tunings of our universe, and I want to show you, by the way, that what God was telling Job thousands of years ago, theologians believe that maybe the book of Job was the first book ever written. So thousands of years before Werner Heisenberg, before Frederick Hoyle, thousands of years before, God was already speaking to Job. And instead, listen, instead of Job, him saying, Job, here's why it happened, he reads his resume. And as amazing as that would have been to Job, when he says to him, do you know the laws of the heavens? 
Which laws was he talking about? You see, when the universe was formed, we talk a great deal about we talk a great deal about the Big Bang, but what happened immediately following the Big Bang is what is important. And when I say immediately following, this is from a scientific, whether you believe it was God speaking it or not, which I do, the, a millionth of a second beyond that, that everything that we know today, all of the forces of the universe, including these four major ones that I'm going to talk about in a minute, were all formed perfectly, dialed in immediately. If you're a sound man like Keith, when he's... When he's mixing a live audience, I mean a live band and a live show, you're dialing in, you're pulling back, you're doing, you're literally mixing it on the fly is what that's known as. God didn't mix us on the fly. Literally, he said, light be, creation, boom, it happened. And immediately, the forces of our universe were put in place and have been immutable since then. And if one of them, in fact, just the speed of the bang alone, okay, the speed of the explosion alone, which in three minutes, 98% of all matter that ever was, ever is, and ever will be was created. In those first three minutes, in fact, in the first millionth of a second, these motions were put in place. Had the bang gone a little bit faster, just a tiny bit fraction faster, we wouldn't be here. Had it have gone just a fraction slower, we wouldn't be here. The speed itself was fine-tuned. I mean, think about that from the moment he spoke it. He didn't speak it and then start building the Legos. It's like if uh, any Legos, kids are probably deeper right now. So if you're a Legos guy or girl, you dump the box out and then you begin to put it together. What God did was dump the box out and the the Millennium Falcon Lego piece was already built. I'm I'm trying to bring it to my level, right? So we can all understand. But in these four laws of the universe that we are governed by, One is gravitational force, one is weak nuclear force, one is strong nuclear force, and the other electromagnetic force. Every one of these four, so the strong nuclear force is what keeps the, 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 Donna, you can correct me by the way, I got a biology teacher in here, so I'm a little intimidated right now, but that's what keeps the nucleus together. The protons and the neutrons would literally blow apart from each other, but the strong nuclear force, and if it were just a fraction stronger, everything would have pulled in on itself. This is, by the way, I'm not talking Bible stuff. This is literally readily available information uh, in books, in the internet, all over. Just a tiny bit stronger, we would have nothing but strong and dense matter because they, wouldn't, they would have literally fallen in on themselves. Just a tiny, just 2% weaker, and it would have fallen in. And if the other way around, if it were just a little bit weaker, it would have literally exploded away, and we would have had nothing but a universe full of hydrogen. Either way, we live in a universe that was finely tuned and perfected for you to be here today. The electromagnetic force, which is what strengthens, uh, like puts like, the matter that holds us together. If we had enough time and you guys were awake enough, we could talk about how inside of an atom there's so much empty space right now that technically you are completely made of empty space and only gravity is what keeps, when I put my hands together, that is what pushes us apart. There's nothing but empty space inside of us. God is infinitely large and infinitely strong. These four fine-tuned things were perfectly spoken into being the minute that the universe came. Here's one of the things about the ratio of the strong nuclear force to the electromagnetic force. You guys are like, this is entirely too early for this. I'll, I'll wake you up when it's over. If, if, listen to this. This is from Bill Bryson's A Brief History of, of Nearly Everything book. Uh, Bill is an atheist, just so you know. If the ratio between them had been different by just one part in 10 sixteenths of the power 
16th power, the universe as we know it would not exist. To put it another way, if that ratio had deviated by 0.000, there's like 16 O's, percent, the universe would not be here. But that ratio is exactly what it needed to be and precisely why we are here. Hugh Ross, the physicist I quoted last week, who's also a mathematician, Caltech, says this. To understand th those numbers, we shouldn't swoon at every fancy number we ever see. But for this one, let's swoon at it. And so th this is what Hugh says, this is what that number actually means. To take a dime, cover the entire continent of North America with dimes. Then, and take your time, it's going to take a while. Go back and do it again until you're 238,000 miles into the air. Then find 200 other continents. Do the same. And if you can't, then we'll just have to pretend. Now take a red dime, throw it, maybe take a helicopter over, throw it, blindfold your friend, and tell them to go find the dime on the first try. That's, when we talk about the statistical probability, that's what mathematicians say, the probability of why we should not be here today. Now here's the point that I wanted to bring to you this morning. Because we can get really fancy in a hurry and talk about the heavens and the universe. And by the way, you can pick out 50 books when you go to bookstores. Do people go to bookstores? When you go to Amazon, you can find 50 books that talk about the universe, but these guys get super uncomfortable when you start dialing it down to earth. And what I love is what does God say to Job? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Verse 33. Listen to this. And he goes on to say, but can you set up God's dominion over the earth? What God knew and what science is beginning to increasingly figure out and find out is that the probability of not just the universe existing, but a planet on which you and I could exist in the universe. In 1967, Carl Sagan said that there were only two real things, the planet and its location to the sun. So the distance from the sun, and I think he said the size of the planet. There were these two things, and so he calculated the billions of planets in the universe. And so based upon that, he, <laughs> based upon that, he said that there should be many, many planets in the earth, thousands of planets in the, in, the, in the galaxies that should support life. And from that was born SETI, the search for extraterrestrial life. It's that for billions of dollars. Now, what's happened since 1967 is that we keep adding stuff to the list. And that list that started out with two things now has over 200 things, parameters that are necessary for life to exist on a planet. And I want to share this super quickly because there was an article recently released where just this last year a physicist says, oh, actually we should have, there should be thousands of them. He was revising it, saying that based upon my math and the seat, all these news stories are picking it up. But look what he said when he was quoting. This was, the, uh, I think, Garth is his last name? He says, Sharf, he says this, when he was talking about how we were putting together this study, we were being kind of sneaky, Sharf said. I think it's one of the beautiful things about it. If you write the equation this way, you don't necessarily have to worry about all the fine, fine details. But what you do do is, you start to break open the factors that you might be able to put some numbers to. What he's saying is that the math of what life, we know that requires carbon and helium, these things that need to be for life, if we just take all that out of the equation, then lots of planets could have life. That's what he was saying. And his study was in response to a study that had been released right before that, where mathematicians put it together and said that Earth may be a one in 700 quintillion kind of place. 
A new study suggests there are around 700 quintillion planets in the universe, but only one like Earth. It's a revelation that's both beautiful and terrifying at the same time. This study was released uh, just last year, a year ago in February. Astrophysicist Eric Zacherson from Uppsala University, he's a European guy in Sweden, he arrived at the staggering figure, seven followed by 20 zeros with the aid of a computer model that simulated the universe's evolution following the Big Bang. My point is, there are those that say, I oh, there it should be everywhere, but those that have done the math and saying, this is what it takes for our life to exist, have all had to agree that at some point, we have to tweak, we have to change the math. We have to change what it takes to make life, and then we can have life outside of it. But if you look at what it takes for us to exist, so here's what I'm saying. In the book of Job, he lists many of these 200 parameters. I'm only going to cover five of them for you this morning because there are five parameters that exist on our planet. These are the ones I'm going to cover. And by the way, you can look and see there's more that God deals with in the book of Job. But when God says to Job, listen, when he says to him, Did you measure the foundations, the, the dimensions of the earth? What God would have known was that if our earth were just a tiny bit bigger, gravity would have been so strong that ammonia and sulfur would have been held to the ground and we would have we've never come out. There would have been no life. If our earth had been a tiny bit uh, smaller and less gravity, then the water would have dissipated into the atmosphere and no water. So when God says to Job, did you measure the dimensions of the earth? Job wouldn't have understood the science that we now understand, which is we need it to be the exact and precise size that it is. Not just the size, but the speed of the rotation. Have you ever wondered and wished that there was a little more than 24 hours in a day? What you're wishing for is that we would never be here. Because if it rotated a little bit faster... I'm just going to read it. If Earth's nighttime side were dark a few hours longer, the nighttime cold would get dramatically colder and the daytime heat get dramatically hotter. As a result, life on this planet would simply have been impossible. If our planet rotated a bit more quickly and therefore gave us shorter days, it would produce impossibly high winds. Just how high we can't say. We know that winds on Jupiter are routinely 1,000 miles per hour. So if the Earth rotated slightly faster than it now does, we may conservatively imagine that it would produce winds sufficient to make impossible a stable environment conducive to the life of any kind. Or as God said to Job in verse 12, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown dawn its place? Not just the size, not just the speed of the rotation, but the specific location of it. I'm reading from now from a book by a guy named Eric Metaxas, who is actually just summing up Hugh Ross's improbable planet. He talks about, Joe, could you get that next slide for me? The larger, the position of the earth, large. In other words, where we are in the, in the galaxy, there are, we are outside of us, there are three large gaseous planets. Jupiter is gigantic. It's 1,320 times the size of earth. To, to put it a different way, 220 the size of all the planets combined together in one. And what Jupiter serves for us is like a literal gravitational force field as it, as it goes around the sun. It takes the blasts from most of the comets and the asteroids that would have utterly destroyed us otherwise. Or it nudges them off. It's literally a gravitational force field that has protected us. The location of us 
in our universe, in our solar system, is 100% fine-tuned to be specific and perfect for life as we know it here. And what he said to verse 31, can you bind the chains of Pleiades, which is a a cluster of stars, of seven of them? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations and seasons? He's speaking of constellations that we see based upon our position in the solar system as we make our trip around the sun. He was asking him, do you know where you're located in the universe and how awesome it is? How many asteroids and comets you've been protected from? And of course, the answer is Job didn't know any of that. And we only recently have known this. Not just that, but the moon. Our moon, specifically the size of the moon and the location, but specifically the size of it. If it were just a little bit bigger, the cons- I'll read this from Eric Metaxas. The considerable gravity gives the ebb and flow of tides. Slightly larger moon means tides as high as 100 feet. Slightly smaller, and the tides would be too small to replenish nutrients in the water. It stabilizes the Earth's rotation on its axis because of the size of the moon. We, we saw that recently, the size, how perfect it is just for an eclipse. Based upon its location, it could perfectly block out the sun. But what we now know is that that moon is the only reason that we can exist in the way that we do because it protects us from 100-foot tides or it keeps our seas alive to keep food replenished. And what did God say to Job in verse 8? Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and said its doors and bars in place, it's speaking metaphorically of a real live truth, which is when I said this far, you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. The size of our moon is tuned perfectly. And when God, the moment he said light be and everything came into existence and everything, all these rules and things were set in motion that would now, God said it, whether it was billions of years ago or thousands, whatever you believe, he said something that put in motion a moon that would say to these waves, stop, you're not going any further. And not just the size of the moon. And if you were to watch the news, by the way, you would assume that if there's water, we find a mud puddle on Mars that there's going to be life there. That's sort of the way the storyline goes. But it's not just water that's necessary. It's ice that's necessary. And it's the right amount of water that's necessary. Most planets, when they say that this planet could maybe support life, are between 5 to 50% water. Our world is 0.03% water. Now you say, yeah, but it clo- the majority of our planet is covered with water. But the mass of the planet itself, the size of Earth, 0.03% water. And the right combination of ice. This is what Hugh Ross says why this matters. Liquid water in combination with ice, that is what's critical. It's also the amount of water that's critical. He says this, what's amazing how water poor our planet actually is. The most Earth-like planets discovered are coming in at 5 to 50% water. Our planet, 0.03%. Too much water is just as much of a problem as too little. He says that a couple of the planets loaded with water so much that you'll never get the continents on the surface. Most folks have heard where there is water that life will rise inevitably, but that is not true. That's not what happens. The false narrative in the media, water on Mars, we think a puddle will find a paramecium. That is a Hugh Ross quote. (laughs) Mars has water, but it has a high concentration of sulfur. Our elements have to be fine-tuned as well. But this is what he goes on to say, to have any kind of animal life, this is the quote, you need a planet that has liquid water in stable combinations with frozen water and water vapor. And it's got to be held in that manner, in in Hugh's opinion, for billions of years for life to be possible. Verse 29, from whose womb comes the ice? 
who gives birth to the frost from heavens. When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen. There are scientists right now in our world that surely continue to want to push the bounds of this. And just a couple of quotes from, again, not my family in Nebraska with a microphone on the news, okay? These are trained folks. Richard Swinberg, a philosopher, to postulate a trillion, trillion other universes rather than one God in order to explain the orderliness of our universe seems the height of irrationality. What he's explaining and what he's addressing there is this idea that maybe the only way we could explain this is that there are other universes. In fact, one of the guys says that, well, maybe this is just one of those things that happens from time to time in the creation of a universe, the creation of an earth. And his exact words were, nobody's really counted the times that it failed. So and that's one of it. Well, what if there's multiple universes? And this guy is saying that that is the height of irrationality. This is one of my favorite ones. Sir John Polkinghorne, the physicist. Let us recognize these speculations for what they are. They are not physics, but in the strictest sense, metaphysics. There is no purely scientific reason to believe in an ensemble of universes. And then our good friend Alexander Vilenkin, Tuft University, and this is the point that there's a proof now in place that cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. As they've drank the glass of the natural sciences, they got to the bottom and found God. This matters to us. Not just to prove in a parlor game, why God exists. It bolsters my faith. I mean, it absolutely does. But the question is, is what kind of a God would that have to be? Like, what kind of a God that would be so wise as to, within one, not only is he super intelligent, super powerful, super amazing and infinite, but he would also be super kind. Kind because he created a universe in which you and I could exist in it. And if that's the case, wouldn't it be awesome to figure out why you're here? Why he went to all that trouble so that you could be here? He asks Job, have you seen death's door? Have you seen the darkness of death? And by that time that God had said that in those words... Jesus had not come yet because the answer was, for God, was, yes, I have that as well. Because the God who made matter became matter. The God who made earth allowed a cross to be driven into that very earth. The God who, Job 26 tells us, hung the world on nothing, allowed himself to be hung on that very world for you and for me. And a God that is infinitely large also means infinitely small. And what he was really saying to Job was, I really wish I could explain this to you, but the smartest minds throughout the next thousands of years still won't be able to grasp this. So I'm not holding out on you, Job. I'm just saying, trust me, I hung the earth on nothing. 
I created an earth that was so perfectly fine-tuned that literally every, every inch of this planet was so perfectly planned and dreamed. Do you not think for a second that every ounce of your life on it would be the same? That if I could fine-tune the universe, I could fine-tune you. And I truly believe with all my heart, the Bible says that someday I will fully know as I am fully known. And what is faith actually? is the bridge between here and there. That for now, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't know how that happened or why this person got healed and that one didn't. I don't know why my marriage has fallen apart and theirs isn't. I don't know why my child is, this child is walking away from the Lord and this child is with the Lord. I don't know. But God would put a bridge between here and there, a bridge of faith, and it's called the cross. And when I walk Across that, I know that it's a God that is not only good, but is infinitely powerful and wise and into the every nuances. Literally a millionth of a percentage if that explosion had gone any faster when the universe came into motion, we wouldn't be here. If it had gone just a teeny tiny bit slower, we wouldn't be here. It went perfectly right, and we are here. Do you not think that the speed and the trajectory of your life is fine-tuned exactly the same? And if you don't and you doubt it, we can always go back to the cross because Jesus allowed the world that was hung on nothing for him to be hung upon it and then for him to be placed inside of it in a tomb. Have you seen, Job, have you seen death and darkness, that what covered darkness? The answer for God is yes, he had, and he defeated it when he rose from the earth on the third day. We live in a universe, in a planet that is literally scientists, physicists, cosmic, cosmologists, theoretical physicists all have to agree. We don't understand how this could be so perfect. But you and I do. We know why it's perfect. Because there is a purpose for you. He knew you. Olivia, he knew her before she was ever born. He knows you before you were ever born. And for those that are struggling on the question of why this or why that, Our brains can't grasp the magnitude of it no more than, you know, Olivia, little baby. She, she can't grasp it. She just has to trust that her mama has got her best interests in mind. And she does. How much greater do you think between Olivia's little mind and just a few weeks old is got to grow to, to learn and experience more? Your mind compared to God's mind, we are infants. You notice at one point, Paul actually refers to himself as an infant. I think it's in Ephesians. I can't remember. I should ask the pastor. Paul refers to, Paul says, I'm still young in Christ because I don't understand these things yet. We get the opportunity today to say that if this universe was so finely tuned that I can now stand in faith and know that my life is being fine-tuned and at the places I don't understand it, I come to the cross and that is my bridge from now from what I understand to what I don't understand is a God that not only was brilliant and intelligent and infinite, but is kind and good and cares about us infinitely. Infinitely large, infinitely small. Would you stand? I know I dumped a whole bunch on you. By the way, I could have, I could have gone a lot further. <laughs> so you're welcome.
I would encourage you, though, to, to remind yourself on a daily basis. What we said last week, those CERN scientists, you shouldn't be here. But we are. Science has come to that conclusion. And we can come to the conclusion now that we are here. And now the question of why. And that is a question that Jesus came to answer. He said, I came to seek and save. It's not my will that any of you would perish. And then one day, the laws of physics, I believe, will be gone. It says a new heaven, a new earth will come down. And we'll get to spend an eternity with him. Not just floating on clouds, but with him doing awesome and amazing and eternal things. A universe that is so eternal, we'll have an eternity to explore and to figure it out. Let's pray. I've gone too far. <laughs> too long. Jesus, thank you for your word and for your... Yeah. Lord, I'm just so in awe that your answer to Job is your answer to us. When my life feels like it's spinning out of control, I'm just on a planet that's spinning the perfect right. It, you are good and you, are, you have it all under your control, your sovereignty. So infinite, Lord, so thankful. Thousands of years before physicists ever figured it out, you were already saying to Job, this is what we hang on to, is that you did do these things. The answer to Job was no. The answer to you is yes. And because of that, we now, we now can live with you and not separate from you. It's in your name that we pray.